the little bit of power that I like to have. So that... <laughs> that timing was terrible. Because I kicked a microphone, bent down to catch it from falling off the edge right when that was thrown at me. And no, I did mention... I mentioned Jared, yes. So he wasn't trying to get me back. This is, our, um, this is part two today of our mission series that we're going through at the, at the beginning of this year. And two, two Sundays ago, we looked at the first part of our four-part mission, which is to glorify God. And we looked at how glorifying God was primarily accomplished, Paul says, as you know, we worship God, we bring Him glory when our lives are lived for Him. A living sacrifice is the words that, that Paul uses in Romans. When it comes to God, everything we do, everything we say, and even, even the things we think, you know, we, we bring glory to God. And so it came down to this. To give God the glory that he is due means for us individually and collect, collectively to be that living sacrifice. And as a church, God is moving us to commit to him in this kind of way like he committed to us. Because it's only he that's really worthy of that living sacrifice. You know, of everything we do, we say, and everything we think. And today I wanna, I wanna talk about the second part of our four-part mission statement, which is to embrace people. And, and I'm really looking forward to it, by the way. We're gonna talk about that today. The last two parts of our mission we're gonna get to in the coming weeks is uh, that we're about planting seeds planting seeds of the gospel, and making disciples. We deliberately selected these four statements because I, I, we didn't want something that was too generic. I love the mission statement that, uh, that, that a lot of churches have, and it's true of us too. We love God and we love people. That's a great mission statement. But I wanted, because I'm a kind of pragmatic guy, I, I guess I wanted the words to tell us what specifically we're about, and, a, and a, how we can apply it to everything we can do. So this second part of our mission defines who we are as Christ followers, because we're about people. We're about people because Jesus is about people. You can't help read the Gospels without seeing it. He's about people. So when we're about people, we're about bringing God glory. So originally we'd written down for this one, love people, but it can become too easy to say that in the church. Love people, yeah, yeah, I got it, love people. I'm good for that. It just rolls off the tongue really easily, but I feel like I want to engage a little bit in the depth of that. And so this, these are the words we came up. In fact, I think it was, I think it was Mike that, that had rung me once and said, I think it's embrace people. It's a very, it shows us what it means. It's a doing thing, isn't it? There's an action in there. Here's what the dictionary actually says about embrace. Accept willing, willingly and enthusiastically. Accept willingly and enthusiastically. So if I add in what we're trying to talk about here, it's accept people willingly and enthusiastically. So do we do that? You know, I'm asking us, I'm asking each of us 
to consider that today. Do we do that? Do we accept people willingly or reluctantly is the opposite, I guess. What's the opposite to enthusiastically? Anyone got a thought? (laughs) Begrudgingly, that's a good one. Do we do that? And I want to set a challenge to us today. I want us to not be too quick to pat ourselves on on the back and go, we're good. We're willing and we're enthusiastic. So I want you to do that with me today. There is not one ounce of doubt when it comes to this idea of loving or embracing people as our mission because the command of Jesus is loud and it's clear and repeated often. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and we preached on that a lot. But a second is equal. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Here he is in Matthew 7. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. If you hold up your Bible and you go, what is, what's this about? There's the essence of all of that. In Matthew 5, he says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We've preached on that a lot as being one of the hardest things to do. And yet, that's the expectation on Christ followers. Galatians 5, Paul says, For the whole law can be summed up in one command love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says in Romans, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. You can't help but see. It's all through the Bible, actually. Jesus was quoting when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting right back at the beginning as well. It's all through the Bible. You can't help but see it. God's DNA is love for people. He says to his followers, his people, that's what I want from you too. All the instances of love mentioned in the passages we just read referred to a special God-given type of love. It's different to the kind of love that you hear the media talk about. It's different. The Greek word for this kind of love, is agape. And it's the agape love that Jesus had for everyone he encountered, and so therefore it's the same kind of love that I think he asks of us for everyone we encounter. There's been a lot written about agape love, but essentially it means this. Nope. The highest level of love known to humanity, a selfless, unconditional love, a love that was passionately committed to the well-being of the other, regardless of circumstances. That's mostly C.S. Lewis and a little bit of Nathan Bell, that quote, by the way. Just made a few tweaks myself because it's hard to make C.S. Lewis better, but I just wanted it to flow better. But when when you read the command that Jesus gave to love others, he's clearly not telling you to just like people. 
He's not telling you to just tolerate people. That was the word that the world likes to use. And I guess maybe it has to start there. Tolerate kind of means begrudging, doesn't it? Okay, tolerate you. I, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to match with what Jesus is asking his followers. Because he's saying be passionately committed to their well-being regardless of circumstances. And if you're like me and you sense this is, there's some, some uh, room for growth. So I'm putting myself first here, church. There's room for growth in how we embrace people or love people. I want to just say, if that's you as well, it's okay. It's okay. There's no condemnation today. I think I'll be growing in my desire to love people better right up until either I head off to eternity or Jesus comes. But until that day, what if we were a church where all of us, you know, all 300 plus of us increasingly learned how to really embrace people? You know that word, willingly and enthusiastically like Jesus did. And you put that into practice. You know, Picture the church where everybody finds that way to enthusiastically and willingly embrace people. And again, I'm not saying that we don't do that, but there's room for us to grow, isn't there? Because I know I have room to grow. Unless you're leaving me out there on a limb, you do too. Please nod if you're with me. Thank goodness. <laughs> I have heard from people that we've ministered to that, uh, that we have a great culture here, but we can't assume we've got it all. We can't rest on this. We've got to hear God's word. We've got to make space for him to continue to, to work in us and transform us. So today, I ask us to consider, what is it that gets in the way of us doing this, of embracing people like Jesus did? I'm going to give you three thoughts on this today. Blockages on embracing people. The first one is this one, it's our bias. And when Jesus was explaining to an, an expert of religious law who asked what the greatest commandment was, the one that we just read, to love God and to love your neighbour, the expert asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbour? It's a great question. Here's how Jesus responded. Jesus replied with a story, a Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. You've got to picture this. He was beaten up. Half dead means it was not pretty. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than, than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. 
The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do the same. And keep in mind, the man that did the helping, the Samaritan man, was not liked by Jews. There was a lot of racial tension. In fact, despise might be a word you could use. It's true that the Samaritans and the Jews had a shared history of sorts, but those attitudes, I, I think the only word we could use, there was probably racist attitudes going on. They didn't want to associate with them, and they would often treat them as lesser people. And yet here's Jesus saying, in no uncertain terms, the person showing the agape love, like Jesus does, is that Samaritan to that Jew. And, you know, he's talking to, to the Jews, so he's making a point to them. Remember, it's a straight-up, no-nonsense message and how our inbuilt bias and prejudice that is at odds with the kingdom, of that, that value of embracing all people. So let's have some honest talk for a second, because everyone, starting with me, can have bias, and sometimes prejudice. It's a stronger word, I know, but it's okay for us to, to look inside ourselves. We need to be honest to know we can have bias towards people groups, and I'm not trying to condemn anyone or make anyone feel uncomfortable, but it's, it's good to be honest with ourselves. The truth is we, we do tend to gravitate, gravitate, gravitate towards people who are like us. And we tend to give less of ourselves to those who are different to us or the ones that we struggle to understand. And I think one of the current challenges for here in Australia is those cultural tensions that can arise between people from different cultures and different religions. So according to Jesus... Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, and you can add a number of different people groups into that there, are our neighbour. Yeah? Which means we have to agape love them. Embrace people. Some people born, uh, same with people born in a different country, they've got a different culture to us that sometimes... We, we struggle to understand, it can cause tensions. The answer is not to reject out of hand their own cultural culture as being some kind of inferior culture. We tend to do that, and I may have been guilty myself. That's not the answer. The answer is understanding and awareness in order to connect. The end goal is not to force others to be like us. The end goal is their sense of belonging through how we embrace. To be Jesus to others in order that they might encounter Jesus through us. If for some reason we elevate our culture above, we may not be, we're probably not being Jesus and we may be sabotaging that opportunity for those people. And I know that it can be hard but are we not called to carry a cross and live a life of sacrifice for God, for his gospel, and for others? Well, what about us as a church? What if someone from a different faith wanted to be part of our church family? Well, guess what? It's already happening. <laughs> there are already people of different faiths coming through our counselling service, into our op shop, at our ESL classes, into our cafe, 
possibly into our bluegrass group. That's a religion by itself. But <laughs> they're there, probably into our play group. And even on our Sunday, in our Sunday worship service, I think Jesus would say, good. So we do too. Good. Encourage it. Love it. What if a seeker from one of those different faiths wanted to sit here week after week, be part of this worship service? Let's embrace. See all people as Jesus would. He made it clear who our neighbor is, who we are to embrace. It's everyone. It's even the ones who are very different to us, even the ones that may disagree with us, have a different philosophy in life, a different goal in things. We embrace them. It can be hard at times. Perhaps sometimes it might cause disruption or concern. But we find a healthy way to embrace people because Jesus did. Here's the, here's the second one, the other blockage. First one was our bias. Second one is our judgment of other people's sin. Our natural tendency to judge and condemn others, people, other people especially when we think they're doing the wrong thing by God, it can be a blockage. In fact, maybe it's, maybe we even fall into sin when we do that. Because Christians should be the one people group who judge others the least, but I'm afraid that sometimes that may not be the case. Uh, it may be in the wider church, let's Let's drag in some others so we don't feel too condemned here. But, you know, maybe the wider church can come across as the one that judges the most. I'll quote Jesus again. He's the one that we go to. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be Judged. Ouch, 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 ouch. I feel like I need to just pause here for a second. Let God sink that one into us. Because I'm just reading the words of Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. It's not supposed to be the feature of a Christian or a church body to be pointing the finger at others all the time. It's not, it's not in their essence that we read about earlier of what the essence of all the law was. It shouldn't be anyway. Jesus goes on to say, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? That makes you a hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The problem is this big, giant log sticking out of my eyes. 
It's been there for so long that I can't get used to it. I don't even realise it's there anymore. And on the other hand, we're awesome at seeing a little one in someone else. Come on. Yeah? Yeah. Me too. It's not our job to judge others. That's, That's what Jesus, it's his job. The great man said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict and God's job to judge and my job to love. And I endorse that. And I worry at times that the church is mostly known for what it's against or who it's against than what it's for or who it's for. Loving God and loving people. And I'm not sure the world can see it. I'm not talking about you're sitting there thinking, oh no, he's gone soft, or hmm, that's the wrong word. He's turning liberal on me. I'm not talking about watering down the truth of God's word or compromising on his ethics in case you think I am. I'm strong on the message of repentance, and Jesus is too. He is too. Obeying the ways of Jesus is actually how we love him. It's one of the ways we show him love is we do what he says. You know, we return the love by saying, I'm going to trust you and go the way you say. But the first message for non-believers to receive is not necessarily you are wrong or you need to repent. That message is coming. Okay, don't panic. That message is coming. The first message from the church is God loves you and accepts you. Then the message should be received and he's asking you out of love because it's the best thing for you to repent and follow him. I mean, that's what happened to me. I hope that's what happened to you as well. Romans 5, this is what what Paul says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He's already loving us all before we said yes to him. And and so therefore is loving all the people that are around us. Loved while we were still sinners. Loved before we even said yes to Jesus. And this is where the church has to be careful because we sometimes rush to judge people's sin and the message of love may be lost or the message of repentance could even be lost because we went in with the judgment. Instead, we should have compassion because that was us. God loved me when I wasn't following him. Before I said yes, before I repented, before I surrendered my life to him, before he started my long journey of transformation and kept pointing to the logs in my eyes, before all that stuff, And it's a journey I'm still on. Before I even lifted a little tiny finger for Jesus, he gave his life for me. And that's our example. We're far too quick to let people sin or rebellion against God cause cause our affections for them to be lost for some reason. Yes, of course, God may not love the things that people do. Of course. Same with me. He doesn't love all the things I do. It doesn't stop him loving me. 
He loves all people because he created us in his image for that purpose, a love relationship. Who am I to judge someone when I've disappointed God myself? Maybe a thousand times or more. But he still loves me. This is the beautiful thing about grace. He still loves me. And if I tap into the heart of God for others, I hopefully feel the same way. I'm crossing over into my my third point a bit here, but can I just say it's not our job to be offended on God's behalf. And I think we do that too much. He can handle it, by the way, when people do the wrong thing against him. He, He still went to the cross for them out of love. So should we. Embracing people may just be the first link to their encounter with Jesus. And so what does it look like? for the church. It means when a person who has an addiction comes into our church or into our ministries, it could be a drug addiction, alcohol, cigarettes, food, gambling, gaming, pornography, it can be anything. We don't exercise condemnation and shame and, and, and pour guilt on them. Rather, they experience compassion, patience, love, and welcome like we did when, we, when Jesus went after us. Yes, sometimes... We need healthy boundaries. I've got to say all these things in case some of you are thinking I'm going down the wrong path here. Sometimes we need healthy boundaries. Of course, we need wisdom and good leadership in all of these things, but both of these things are possible together. It can be messy, and it's okay. Of course, we need to um, bring practical, spiritual, and emotional assistance to help people out of their struggles. It means when a person or a family is from a different socio-economic situation than our own here in this middle-income suburban life that we are in right now. Perhaps they might dress differently or talk differently. It means that they should still receive an embrace, like feel it, some kind of loving embrace. It's about those struggling with mental illness being embraced like, like anyone else would be and, yeah, it, it, and yes, professional support and all those things are required. It's about empathy and love for those who have suffered through a divorce. Do you know what? I'm yet to meet a divorced person who wanted to be divorced. It was, it's always hurtful, painful, and sometimes painful for life almost. How we, how we accept people going through that church is so important. A loving church community can be messy, accept it. It's in that mess that Jesus is often the most present. When it's just all perfect and image is great and fake, that Jesus can be missing. I'm running behind. Number three, blockages to embracing people. A distorted view of God's love. And if there's one thing that I want you to take away, it's this. If you haven't grasped how wide and how high and how deep the Father's love is for you, even when we do the wrong thing, even just as you are today, your ability to embrace others will be limited. This is my thesis. My desire to love and embrace others flows from how much I've fully understood and embraced God's love for me. Like received it in faith. 
and let it let him let him his love literally change me the famous preacher and author Brennan Manning he, he preached a powerful sermon about this and, and here's what he said I've shared this once before but it's so good this is Brennan Manning through all my years of prayer and meditation I'm convinced that on judgment day God is going to ask us all this question did you believe that I loved you that I desired you that I waited for you day after day, that I longed to hear the sound of your voice. The real believers will respond and say, I believed in your love and I tried to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who were so faithful in our ministry and our church going are going to answer, well, frankly, no, Lord, I never really believed it. And there is a difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that can sometimes fill our churches. No one can, I'm still quoting Brennan Manning, no one can measure like a believer the depth and intensity of God's love for us. But then again, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, our pessimism, our low self-esteem, our self-hatred and despair. Those things block God's love for us. Do you see now why it's so important to lay hold of this basic truth of our faith? Because you're only going to be as big as your concept of God and his love. Still quoting, we make God in our own image and he ends up being as fussy and as rude and as narrow-minded and judgmental and legalistic and unloving and unforgiving as we are. I've been in many countries across the world and honest to God, the God of the Christians I meet is too small for me because he is not the God of the word. He is not the God who, reveal, who was revealed in and through Jesus Christ who at this moment comes to your seat where you are today and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin and shame, dishonesty and degraded love that's darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship. And my word to you is this, I dare you to trust that I love you. Just as you are. Not as you think you should be. Because none of us are as we should be. That's where the quote finishes. When you realise how undeserving we are of God's love, and yet how much he wants us to receive it, with deep affection just as we are, it changes me. It changes me. When you understand the depth of grace that God pours out every single day, grace, 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 grace on you, grace to you, grace over you, every single day, when you understand that and the high cost for that grace, it has to change us. So do you trust that he actually loves you like that? 
as Brenda Manning said, I, I, I dare you, church, to trust God's word that he loves you today. Because when we trust that God loves us like that, it changes. It changes me and it changes how I'm going to love others. It has to. Would you pray with me now? Let's just sit in this space for a moment. I invite you to pray to God quietly in your seat. The word says that God loves you. Receive that in faith. Now let it wash over you. Let it wash over those parts that you where you don't like yourself. Let it wash over your shame. Let it wash over the hurt from others. Because we don't have to wait to get to heaven. that kind of relationship with our God. He's the lover of your soul. the one who sees you that day and says yes I believed it I received it and I lived it lived your love love is like a healing balm to us, restoring us, making us new.